On this episode of the Northeast Newscast, we will be talking with Kristen Johnson, local Northeast resident, discussing her work restoring old homes in the Northeast community. All right, well, go ahead and just introduce yourself. Tell us a little about yourself and your journey to how you began restoring old houses in the community. My name is Kristen Johnson, and I live in Pendleton Heights. I've been there for... I think nine years now in the same house. My whole life, I lived in apartments. So people usually ask me, oh, well, you work on houses. Is your dad a carpenter? And the fact that I'm a woman and I do this tends to create a lot of questions. And that's usually the first one that comes up is, oh, you must have learned from your dad. And my dad is very talented in a lot of different areas, but we just never lived really in a house. But I'm from Indiana. I moved to Kansas City probably 14 years ago, bought a house then. And when I was looking around for neighborhoods, I think I did what a lot of people do who are not from here, which is looking at a map, looking at what had good interstate access but was still really close to the city. So I was from a mm-hmm. smaller town in Indiana. Um, I moved from a town that was 30,000. I wanted something bigger. I wanted to feel like I was more in an urban core. It was the entrance into Scarrett Renaissance that caught my eye first because I was driving up and down 70 and just taking exits. I jumped off at Benton. The houses were what did it for me. Right. Because um, you don't see that kind of architecture really anywhere else in the city. You have it in Hyde Park, but I feel like Hyde Park is a little more monotone. It's a little more one note. It's all, you know, 3,000 square foot houses, one right after the other. Whereas mm-hmm. here, I think you've got a little bit more, it's a little more eclectic. So I was attracted to it right away. I looked at a couple of houses, but I didn't find the house that I wanted. I ended up finding that in Strawberry Hill. So the first house I bought in Kansas City was in Strawberry Hill, which I love for the same reason that I love Pendleton Heights. It's an immigrant neighborhood. It's a perfect location. You know, skyline views, easy access and cheap and really good housing stock, mm-hmm. you know, early 1900 housing stock. So I got that, eventually got married. Uh, now my ex-husband, his mm-hmm. uncle was a structural engineer. He came over and just started talking to us about the house, and that was, I think, the end of it for me. Yes. <laughs> just something, something lit. We started working on the house all the time. It was nice to come from a point from, like, just basic understanding on how structures are built because he had us, you know, punch out holes in the ceiling and stick our heads up there and explain balloon framing and explain just just everything. You know, I like puzzles. I was an art major. I like the idea of taking something and making it better. I like the idea of taking care of people, which is, I think, how I ended up getting... I, so I have the two buildings now um, with a total of seven apartments. I just like the idea of giving people safe, relatively affordable places to live, you know, taking care of the buildings, and that's satisfying. So eventually I sold the house, lived downtown for four years just in an apartment, I was trying to figure out what I was going to be doing next. And then that's when I found my house here, 2000, I want to say 2008. I got it for $28,000. And it's not, (laughs) and it's, I always say, well, it's not like I was in a bidding war. There wasn't anybody Mm -hmm. else who wanted the house. Um, It was bad. It was really bad. Um, The roof had been leaking for years and it was in pretty dire straits. So that's when I live in now. Um, And then other opportunities have just come up. I have a three unit building on Wabash that came up a couple years after that. um, That was again, empty and needed a lot of care and then there's a house on Lexington that I finished back in the spring sold back in the spring and now this new project on Prospect which is beautiful thank you yes yeah, it will it be <laughs> it will be it's, it's going to need a bit more money but it'll, it, it'll I, be beautiful it'll need a lot of time um, I was joking the other day that it's my new eight-year project but because um, there'll always be something to do on it. I have, you know, right. big plans for the really cool stuff I want to do. But I'm hoping to get the outside beautiful within the next year. 
Well, I'm excited to see it. Me too. Yes, I think it's going to be amazing. Yeah, I can't wait. So I was looking through a little bit of your um, background on just LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. I know you have a lot of um, marketing experience mm -hmm. on your HR block for a while. Yeah. And so what would you say, like, how has that lent itself to the things that you do now with restoring these homes? Yeah, yeah. that's a really good question. Yeah, I was there for 10 years. So most of what I do doesn't end with selling. My rule of thumb is always single family homes. It's better to to work on those. I don't use the word flip because flippers take a lot less time than I do. It's more mm -hmm. for restoration. Single family homes tend to do better to to work on and sell um, just because it's usually hard to make numbers work as rental as rentals. Um, mm -hmm. When things get bigger than duplex and you know, it's sometimes worth looking at buying and keeping. There are two different properties, one I just sold in May, and there's one that I'm working on in Midtown. It's the only property that I have right now that's not um, in Pendleton Heights. And that one is actually, that's not mine, but I have a financial investment in it. It's surprising to me how often I do use that marketing background because I am constantly thinking about the end user. So okay. the house I did at Lexington, the place I'm working on at Gillum, even just working out floor plans, it's who is going to be the end user of this product. Okay. And what can I do between now and when they'll have it to make it perfect for them? Mm -hmm. So I think that a lot of times people who work on houses or work on really anything, don't anything that they won't eventually have forever, don't necessarily think about who will be using it you know, what, right. what they're looking for, what they'll need, what they'll want, you know, whether they'll have a dog, whether they'll want a separate door for their office, um, that kind of thing. But I find myself thinking about that constantly. What, what will that end buyer want to get out of this or what will speak to them when they're looking at it and thinking about buying it? It That's, makes it more fun for me too, because yeah. it's, it's that I'm doing it for someone. The work itself becomes a little more meaningful. Right. Because it reminds you that this is going to be somebody, be really important to somebody someday, and you want it to be good, and you want it to be right. I just thought it was interesting to see all of your background. I was like, and then she <laughs> and decided then, to restore. I was right. like, I wonder, like, what, right. you know, when that Well, I had done, switched. so the house stuff, I guess, I got the one in Strawberry Hill, I want to say, in 2001, 2001, 2002, somewhere in there. I think I was working at the company prior to H&R Block at the time, and that's when the bug hit. So I was always able to kind of, you know, I'd work on on my own house I'd work on it after work I'd work on it on weekends mm -hmm. um, you know that kind of thing and it was when I left H&R Block three and a half years ago to finish up that house on Lexington that I got so deeply entrenched in it and discovered that now I'd, if I could just do this all the time it would be fine so then it was a matter of well how do I do that yeah. <laughs> right how do I how do I work and be able to pay my mortgage um, when I have to wait so long for a payoff. Mm -hmm. So, you know, getting creative financially. I did take a part-time job in City Power and Light for about six months, but it became almost impossible to juggle everything. I'm a perfectionist, so I'm not really good at giving anything, you know, part of my time. So that was the last time I worked for somebody else. It's yeah. been at least a couple of years now. You know, I feel like I know so many people who are in that weird space of mm -hmm. wanting to put everything towards something that they're really passionate about, yeah. but still having to pay the bills and right. still having to figure out how to pay their mortgage and go to work right. while still pursuing that. So I think that's Absolutely. very interesting. Yeah, and it's tough with yourself. this kind of work because it's so physically demanding. Yeah. So the idea would be, oh, well, you know, you work, you work for yourself and then you do projects for other people. 
right, to make, mm-hmm. and, and I did that for a while, you know, on weekends and or whatever, to make ends meet, but the problem with, it's physical labor, it's not like, you know, when I had the desk job, and I could do yeah. work on the weekends or after work, because I'm physically exhausted most days by the end of the day, you know, even if it's just a nine, ten hour day, whereas right. I used to be able to sit at a desk for ten hours, and then go work I can't do that anymore so I like said I do have the art background and I did go back to the art institute a couple years ago and picked up some more some more graphic design classwork so I'm actually I just started another project that's it's a graphic design type project awesome Um, yeah that I'm excited about it's been it's something that I've been putting on the back burner for probably five years now that I've just never had time for but now that it's cold and (laughs) I need to sit down more (laughs) more frequently so the idea is that I work on that a couple days a week okay so is it doing tonight in collaboration with your restoring the houses or is it Mm -mm. something totally separate it's I would I would tie it to my passion for community and Mm -hmm. neighborhoods and history um, and art well, yeah, I'm excited. Maybe I'll spring. bring you back in, and we'll yeah. talk about that. Yeah, I'd love to. Yeah. <laughs> so excited. you said you had most of your projects were in Pendleton Heights area, yeah. kind of northeast. Why did you choose that? So Pendleton specifically I love because it's almost a little island. We're separated by Independence Avenue to the south, Cliff Drive to the north, Paseo in the university to the west, mm-hmm. and Chestnut to the east. So it's this odd little neighborhood that really doesn't have very good connection to anyone else to anywhere else which is you know a pain sometimes mm-hmm. it makes for just a really interesting neighborhood I like the fabric of it a lot I like I hate to use the word diversity because it's such a cliche word but in the truest sense of the word you know when you're talking about everybody from African refugees to Vietnamese to Italian to quote young urban professionals to you know it's everybody everybody's in that Mm -hmm. neighborhood and it's a really nice mix of people age-wise religion we were talking about earlier we have a buddhist temple now in a neighborhood that has a bunch of halal meat markets and economically it's super diverse because we still fortunately have a bunch of section 8 housing and apartments so that um you know we have a lot of affordable housing units over there in an area where you know houses are selling for three hundred thousand dollars and up we have apartments that are below market rate which makes me really happy mm-hmm. so my hope and my expectation is actually that that it stays that way there's some neighborhoods that i think have lost some of their charm mm-hmm. when those three hundred thousand dollar house prices start happening i'd you know i'd mention the west side um which is still lovely and charming but they've lost i think some of their lower price points and it's not quite what it was it's cute it's lovely, big, beautiful houses that have all been redone. But yeah, you know, my hope is that because we're we have that really good Section Eight population, that that would probably stay for quite some time and let us continue to have the kind of you know range of economic diversity that at least we have right now. Right. Yeah, there's it's the density too. Yeah. I think just because it's, it has these very defined borders and mm-hmm. we have the apartment buildings. Um, I think the last census. The last real census, full census, was 2010. So we'll have another in 2020. I'm looking forward to seeing what, what we see there. But I think there, if I remember right, we had 3,000 residents in Pendleton Heights. And, you know, we're not in New York City. But density-wise, right. you know, that's pretty good for Kansas yeah. City. Um, so, yeah, you do have pedestrians. And you do, like I said, you know, you've got the socioeconomic range. So you have people walking to the bus stop. You, mm-hmm. you have people around walking to the store. So I, it does feel more vibrant, I think, because of all of that. So you kind of focus on um, Pendleton Heights, Northeast area. Mm-hmm. What do you think it does for the community for someone to just come in and just say, 
I love this house. I want to restore it. I want to bring back its charm or to just give it life again. What do you think that does to a community? Gosh, there's so many people who have done that, too. I think, you know, at the at the most basic, it's nice for the people who live adjacent to it, right? Because, mm-hmm. I mean, I can speak for my own. I've got a vacant property next door to where I live. My property line looks terrible, and I don't, you know, it, I'm not going to be excited about going to work on it because I know that, you know, the house next to me is vacant, and if they don't care, why should I care, mm-hmm. right? So when someone starts caring about a piece of property, I think it's contagious, and it spreads. Now, when you have a handful of people doing that, it spreads. When you have somebody on every block doing that, it's transformative. And I think that's what we've experienced lately. When I think about what my block looked like when I moved in and how many of those houses were vacant and the things that we had to worry about, it's night and day from yeah. nine, ten years ago. And I'm really appreciative of the fact that, yeah, we still have some some interesting things that happen, but they're not, you know, a car is honking at 10 o'clock at night. I'll, yeah. I'll take that. <laughs> right. <laughs> I'm happy to take that over over right. what our problems used to be. It's I think that it's been transformed because of the lack of vacant houses. It's not necessarily, you know, these huge, expensive, beautiful restorations. It's somebody mowing the lawn. Mm-hmm. It's a house not being vacant anymore and being lived in by people who take care of it and who are present and who have mm-hmm. eyes on the street and are part of the community. That's very true. That's so, very true. Yeah, it doesn't have to be a beautiful crazy mm-hmm. thing we just need people um but i know on one of your um, that you specialize in restoration of histor- historic single family homes from concept to completion mm. so i know that that is probably a very lengthy explanation but what does that look like for you from concept to completion yeah so i can so the one on prospect that um my partner and i just picked up when i say from concept to completion it's and this is never a quick process. So I, I've often had people say, oh, I would have never thought to blah, 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 or put that, you know, however something is configured. I would have never, well, I wouldn't have thought of it either. It's just you sit in a place for six months and you stare at the walls long enough and you start to get a feel for how it was mm-hmm. or, or what needs to be. I cannot tell you how many times I've sat and stared at walls and looked at floorboards and looked at doorways to try to figure out what's new and what's old, what's original and what's not, where the plaster is cracking, where the drywall, where there, where there is drywall, because I, I don't work on anything that's less than 100 years old. So, mm-hmm. and trying to piece together what something used to be and then kind of threading the needle between what it was and what makes sense for it to be used now versus, you know, the billion iterations it's undergone in the last, you know, 100 years. So you're determining just basic things like floor plans. The one I'm working on right now, you know, there's a wall between the kitchen and the room adjacent to it that was thicker than usual, deeper than usual, um, which usually means something's hiding a pocket door, right? So it's often when you have a an entryway that's a little big it's someone decided the pocket door wasn't useful anymore or it seemed old you know in the 60s that would have been like something your parents would have had and you don't want that so you want something new and fresh and modern so you take all that out and just kind of drywall it in right so there's a storeway that's thicker and I'm all excited because sometimes they leave the pocket they'll just open up the pocket door and frame it in and it's all still there mm-hmm. right not all the time but sometimes so I'm all excited and you know I'm knocking around and I can tell it's drywall and it's a little hollow in there and I know there's something in there so of course I take a hammer and a crowbar and I start peeling out 
this newer drywall. There's a cavity there, but it's not for a pocket door, and I can't tell what it is, and I'm starting to get a little, you know, just confused. I've never seen this before, right? I'm like, well, maybe underneath that 80-year-old wallpaper is the 100-year-old pocket door, mm -hmm. because there was this plastered-in cavity still with the original wallpaper behind the drywall, right? And eventually I figure out it's a closet. So this was a really shallow closet that is now an entry from one room to the other. And then when I backed up and looked at the whole second floor, I realized of the four rooms on the second floor, every single one had an original door to the hallway, like an exterior door, and each had their own closet, mm -hmm. which is unusual, like for a family house, right? So they all had each room, except all about the same size, all that went to a hallway to a bathroom in the back. You know, if you have like a five-year-old kid, you're not going to give them a bedroom that basically you're out in public space when you open up your door because it's an open foyer mm -hmm. that's open to the front door. And so I started thinking, I think this is a boarding house. I think this was built as a boarding house back oh. in the late 1800s. Okay. It was built around 1890. So I'm walking through, again, I, I can't shake the idea that I think this is a boarding house, and it's like that on the other side. I know there's another eight rooms that would have had their own separate door to the front door. So I called the the nephew of the previous owner. It's like, is there any family lore about maybe this building used to be a boarding house? Of course, they didn't, they'd only owned it for you know, the past several decades, but they didn't have it from its inception. And he said, you know, my uncle always said that he bought it from a bunch of nuns. And hey. I was delighted. <laughs> oh, <laughs> so wow. excited. Okay. So now it's peeling the onion uh -huh. and trying to get more information about, you know, I know who the original owner was. It's an Irish last name. So um, there's some guy in Kansas who did his dissertation about the expansion of the Catholic Church in, you know, in Kansas City. So you can see the parish right in Pendleton Heights was developed right between 1880 and 1900. So it looks like this was, it's part of St. John's Parish. It looks like it might have been built as, you know, essentially a convent. So that's amazing. But I don't know yet. So now it's, okay, well, it's obviously not going to be a boarding house these days. That doesn't really make sense. But how can I stay true to that kind of floor plan and that history mm -hmm. while still making it actually work for somebody? Because right. you don't want to walk out into a main hallway to get to your kitchen. Yeah. Right? So developing that, of course, and pulling out all the, you know, all the layers of added flooring, getting back to the hardwoods, like your typical stuff, you know, fixing the baseboards where things mm -hmm. are missing and the windows you know, need removed and repaired and replaced and yeah, all the way from that to picking out the paint colors for the outside. Right. You know, it's it's everything. I mean I could do it quickly but it won't be as good. Right. You know. Or it won't be as and honestly when you you miss a lot, I think, when you do things quickly or when you mm -hmm. send people in. You know, a lot of people who do this work, you know, they'll send in a crew to do the demo, they send in mm -hmm. people to do whatever. I just I feel like you can tell when that happens. Um, because the precious things get lost. Mm -hmm. I mean, like I have the, the place I'm working on right now, whoever worked on it in the 60s, when they put the linoleum on top of the wood floors, they had patched in, you know, just where the floors over time had maybe separated, there were spaces between some of the boards, or there were a couple boards missing. They, it looks like they used these old printing plates, or at least that's what I think they are. These, okay. They um, used it as sheet metal, cut out panels, and nailed it into the floor. Half the panels are in Spanish, half are in English, and they're all about communism. It's <laughs> it's super cool. If I had a demo crew in there, that would have all... Of course you yank that up. You're just right. like, oh, it's... A, but, you know, now I'm like, I'm going to refinish the floors around right. these strips of... It's the, I've never seen it. It's super cool. That so, is so interesting. Um, yeah, it'll be fun. Yeah. 
So that's the kind of thing that you lose when you send in a crew. Mm-hmm. You know, you kind of lose the heart a little bit. Of right. course, it'd be faster. It'd probably be a lot cheaper. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, it wouldn't be as enjoyable. So you kind of mentioned you kind of just got into this. Your your dad wasn't a carpenter. You didn't learn this from, like, a you know long history. Mm-hmm. What would you say to people wanting to do something like that? Mm-hmm. How would you get into it? Or even just learning about the architecture, design, or, you know, how to rehab these houses. What would you say to them? So people ask me that a lot. And what I usually tell them is... It's not necessarily people who have a background in, you know, construction or a family background. It's if you're patient, <laughs> that's really about all you need. Because okay. if you run into something that you don't know how to do mm-hmm. and you can stop and learn how to do it, or you can or if you run out of money, you can stop and make more money. You mm-hmm. have to be able to roll with the punches, I think is the the one personality trait that you need of anything else um, because otherwise you'll be frustrated beyond belief because you're constantly stopped. Mm -hmm. There's constantly, especially in older homes, nothing is the same way twice. You'll never run into the same thing more than once. Mm -hmm. You're always learning something new. If you're you're hyper-focused on the end goal of having, oh, this beautiful property that's the envy of all the, you know, you're going to be really unhappy pretty much all the time. Mm -hmm. Um, If you are capable of enjoying the process and are able to kind of celebrate the little victories as they come, then it's a lot easier. But you can't, if you're focused on the end goal of it's going to be amazing and when it's done, then I'll be happy, then you, you're going to be unhappy for 99% of the time because it'll never be done. Yeah. You know, so patience, a willingness to learn and a way to make money because you're not going to make money doing your own projects. Mm-hmm. You've got to be able to do something else on the side. Yeah. Um, you have to have another skill and then you have to be able to develop your own skills on your own properties. You know, you have to, you have to know how to do something. You know, you, if you hire everything out, you're never going to, it's, it's not going to work. Okay. Um, you know, yeah. you can't, the, understandably, you certainly when you're getting started, you have to hire out the electric, the, you know, the electrical stuff. Mm-hmm. You have to hire out the plumbing because there are things you can really mess up. Right. You know, you're not, right. you don't want to be DIYing. You know, yes, you can switch <laughs> out your light fixtures. Yes, you can replace your biscuit-colored outlets with the white ones. You can do all that, but you're not rewiring a house anytime soon. Right. Um, but, you know, you can certainly do finished carpentry. You can do the things that are not going to, you know, flooring. Everybody do it right. Now, tile is kind of a different animal, but mm-hmm. you, you can refinish a hardwood floor. Yeah. You know, because you can do it wrong and nobody's going to get hurt. Mm-hmm. You know, you're not going to end up with problems if, you know, you, you do something. You can do it again. You, you know, you learn a lot from doing things wrong. The first couple times, you know? It's pretty much life, I guess. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, yeah. You just keep doing it, keep doing it, and stop and ask for help. Stop, call somebody, stop, and, you know, have a resource, just a resource, somebody that you can call and ask for advice on stuff in each trade, which takes a really long time because there's a lot of people out there who don't do good work. So Mm. building up the people that you trust who can work for you, who will always do a good job, that's a lot of the work. You know, the home yeah. improvement shows never talk about, you know, when you spend half a day waiting for a guy to show up that never does, you right. know, all that time that yeah. you lose. So, yeah, it's important to learn how to do a lot of things yourself. You know, you have to be able to set a toilet. You have to be able to change out a vanity. You have to be able to, you know, patch a floor, patch a wall, hang mm-hmm. drywall. You don't necessarily always have to do it. You at least have to know how to do it. Additionally, so that you can make sure that people you're hiring are doing a good job. Right. You know, because if you don't know how to do it, you don't know how long it takes, you don't know how much it should cost, 
you're totally flying blind and that's a good way to get taken advantage of yeah that's very true that's very true well i appreciate your time i appreciate honestly everything that you're doing in the community because i know that's important to a lot of people i mean people who have made that their home and you know thank you um, there are a lot of people doing that so i will i will say thank you on behalf of all of them (laughs) (laughs) of course and that was Kristen johnson local northeast resident talking about her work restoring old homes in the northeast Thank you for tuning in to the Northeast Newscast. For the Northeast News, I'm Elizabeth Orozco.